uh, now. Um, so we're going to give people a chance to come in a little bit uh, because I, you know, I didn't get a chance to advertise. This is all impromptu, but um, just, you know, this needed to be done. So uh, we're going to give people a little time to come in <clears throat> and uh, we're already live just so you know. Let me get the link to my own thing here. All right. So we already got about five people in here. And uh, we're going to let it come in. So for those who, who don't know, um, obviously, you know, the Onyx Report um, is every Wednesday. Uh, for the most part, usually five o'clock Pacific. Um, and tomorrow night, I'll be interviewing uh, activists. Um, Zakia uh, will be kind of going into it tomorrow. Um, and I think it'll be a, a, an interesting show for a lot of people. But tonight, we had a, a special kind of situation come about that uh, definitely required some attention. So uh, it's a little impromptu, but it, I think it's definitely worth your time. So remember, tomorrow is Zakia Sankara Jabbar, uh, five o'clock uh, Pacific, um, and that will be on Inner Light Radio. Um, and then, of course, if you missed the live show, it'll come up, you know, on YouTube. I'll post it a little bit later. Um, what's going on to MC Bearborn Man Friday for Life One Deep One Brian Will. Good evening. Um, tonight is a special episode of the Onyx Report. Now, if you don't know, the Onyx Report, uh, I started uh, summer of last year, and it's basically a show uh, centered around black men. BK Hammer, what's going on? It's a show that's dedicated to really highlighting anti-black misandry and fixating on um you know, black masculinism and the, and the experiences black men have and their responses to changing conditions in society and how they're treated. So the show centers around black men and is focused on humanizing black men because there's a legacy of stereotype that obscures uh, black men's humanity and the imagination of most people. Uh, what's up, BGS is in the house, Scott Peterson, um, Janelle Santos, hello. Um, now, I want my, my moderators to know that, uh, you know, we're going to be kind of tight tonight with your help. Um, I want this brother to get nothing but respect because um, he's coming forth and, and he's sharing some things that are pretty intimate, just like Dr. Golden last week, Dr. Tim Golden, we had on here. What's up, Mr. Prince? Um, uh, Dr. Golden shared some very intimate details about his own experiences um, with emotional abuse. Um, so we dealt with emotional abuse. If you didn't catch that episode, go watch it. Also check out Dr. Golden's uh, TED Talk. Uh, so you can look up Dr. Tim Golden and TED Talk and you can find it on YouTube pretty readily. And he deals with the emotional abuse ex he experienced in his marriage and the impact that, that had on him and what he had to do to navigate those waters. Uh, tonight, on the, on the other hand, we're going to we're going to deal with it from a different vantage point. Tonight, we're going to have a conversation with uh, Dr. Lehman Basil, uh, who's going to talk to us about a different type of uh, abuse, a different type of intimate partner violence. We're going to deal with physical intimate partner violence 
and the brother was um, uh, kind enough to reach out and he was willing to share his story. And the reason I wanted us to hear him tell us what's going on is because um, what many don't know are the rates of abuse, intimate partner violence in the black community, especially is nigh equal. It's bi-directional, meaning that it's pretty much equal going from men to women and women to men. And the rates of, of LGBT violence across race are particularly high in LGBT relationships. So, you know, th this this notion that black men are the face of violence, they're the source of violence in intimate relationships and in society is a farce. It's ridiculous. Viol black men are, are as equal, you know, in terms of being victims of violence uh, as they are uh, uh, the aggressors of it. And we rarely hear about those kinds of stories. Right. Um, we rarely hear from uh, about, I should say, black men who are dealing with these issues. And we need to hear more of it. Now, obviously, in the last week, one of the things that came forward, one of the things that came out was Johnny Depp's experience with his, uh, I guess, ex-wife now, Amber Heard. And we got to hear the audio recording of Heard admitting to initiating violence against Johnny Depp. Now, for the most part, Johnny Depp was released from Pirates of the Caribbean. His career has suffered dramatically based on the accusation alone, no evidence uh, merely put forth by Heard. And this happens quite a bit to men in general. And it's been popularized since hashtag Me Too. And it's given women the power to accuse without any request for evidence and pretty much end many men's careers simply on the basis of an accusation. Well, this is not limited to wealthy white men at all in, in, in any slight of the imagination and has impacted uh, black men as well. Um, even black men that have severe issues, when you talk about somebody like R. Kelly, definitely, you know, needs help, definitely need, needs some kind of therapy and whatnot. But even him, the other side of the story is not told. He was raped by his sister. But somehow we don't have that kind of nuance unless the aggressor is a woman. Then the first question that people ask is, I wonder what happened to her. I wonder how she's violated. And I wouldn't have a problem with that if we if we ask that question universally. But we don't. And when it comes to men and black men in particular, we have a tendency to sidestep nuance. We have a tendency to sidestep context. And it just becomes about black male guilt. So with that said, um, it looks like we have about 33 people watching. Please hit the like button as you come in. Um, please don't forget to support the show um, if you can. And I'm just trying to let a few more people come in. But, uh, you know, please make it a point to support us as we get in here. And, for, and, and a reminder, uh, good, you know, good Good looking out, BGS. Uh, BGS is in the house. Uh, make sure that we we go through the comments and keep the conversation on point, on topic, um, and and with respect, because um, you know we're dealing with the unspoken experiences of black men, and we damn sure ain't about to let that be denied or overlooked, especially in this space. So um, I want to introduce Dr. Basil. Um, I've met him online. I haven't had the pleasure of meeting him in person, but uh, he's presented on, on some conferences I've seen online. It's a very solid brother. Um, 
And like I said, he was kind enough to reach out. He shared his story with me. And as I read his words, I mean, I'm literally lecturing um, and I gave the students an activity to do and I'm reading his words and I'm cussing up a storm in class, just blown away at the things that I'm, I'm reading and knowing how many black men deal with this, you know, it, it's, it's jarring. And that's the thing I don't want people to forget. The numbers are equal when it comes to intimate partner violence, IPV, going both ways. So that means for every story you've ever come across of a woman being abused, there's a man who's been abused. But the narrative for men is just to suck it up and, and be a man, to just walk off, to not say anything. You know, and there's this air of, you know, if you come forward, look, at the end of the day, abuse is abuse. Human beings are human beings. And the data shows us that people respond to abuse the same way, emotionally and psychologically. So why men can't speak up makes no sense whatsoever. Um, so I, again, I want to introduce you to Dr. Lehman Basil. How you doing, brother? Hey, how are you doing today, Dr. Hassan? Man, doing doing all right, man. Yeah, it's all right. Um, doing okay, man. Every day is, uh, you know, like I told you uh, before, you know, it's, it's an up and a down. Some days I feel like perfectly fine, and then there are other days when, you know, I kind of lament over mm-hmm. some things that I've lost dealing with the uh, experience of domestic violence. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's kind of like where I'm at right now. It's up and a down. Well, I, I don't blame you, and that's mainly because I know um, – what you've been through. Uh, shout out to Man Friday for the support. Uh, Patreon, thank you. Um, I want y'all to hear Dr. Basil's story. Now, y- y'all know my interview style. I like to give the platform to the people I invite, and tonight will definitely be that. Um, I'll chime in for moments, uh, moments when it's necessary, but I want the brother to be able to tell his story. And at the end of the day, I want you to know where things ended up to where his statement a moment ago about being up and down at different times and lamenting over what he's lost, it'll make a lot more sense when you understand, you know, not only the story itself, but where it, I don't want to say ended because, uh, you know, in some respects it's still going, but, you know, where it, it put him, you know, because um, it's it's looking like the brother has lost quite a bit. So, uh, Dr. Basil, take us where, you know, start us off. Um, with what's going on. Um, well, the I, letter you wrote was beautiful as far as that, but however you want to approach this, man. So I'll just read like the first page and a half of the letter. Sure. And, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like it's rehearsed or polished or anything like that, but I mean, it's a story. So, yeah. Um, no. So, so what I want people to do is to initially just imagine the following scenario. So you got a man and a woman involved in an in- intimate partner relationship and they like, Anybody else to have an argument over the phone over something petty, something trivial. Mm-hmm. So imagine that the man knows that it's this date night with his girlfriend, but he refuses to meet with her. So mm-hmm. the woman, not wanting to be ignored and shut out, basically suggests that they meet and talk some things through. Instead, the man tells his girlfriend in a sarcastic tone, I know it's our date night tonight, boo, but uh, right now I just can't have fun with you. But my frat brothers just got in town and, you know, they're fun. So I'm canceling our plans and I'm going to go hang out with them. So imagine that the woman is hurt. She's annoyed. She feels like she's invested a lot of time and energy into a relationship with a boyfriend. 
but is not getting the same kind of energy in return. So she's disgusted and feels like she deserves more. So out of anger, she tells them she's sick and tired of the BS and she's sick and tired of being put to the side. So she's just going to cut her losses and end the relationship. So it's over with, she basically tells them and hangs up the phone. And instead of going home and sulking and being in despair, the woman says, I'm going to empower myself. So she goes through her phone and lists the contacts, finds a number of a man that she knows had been interested in pursuing her, right? So why not? She's just been, you know, disrespected by a boyfriend. So she has a strong connection to that boyfriend and, you know, she loves him, but she's disgusted with the behavior that he's exhibited. So why not? So out of self-love, she anxiously dials the man's number through a phone. And surprisingly, the man answers and is excited to hear from her. So they reminisce for a while. And ultimately, she suggests that they link up. And within an hour, that man is by her side. So they have dinner together. They go to the movies. And they have such a good time that she ends up inviting him back to her place. And when they get there, they were sitting together closely on the couch, Netflix and chilling. You know how it goes. And the man observes how tense and stiff the woman is and offers to give her a massage. The woman says, okay. And then her phone starts ringing. Guess who it is? It's a boyfriend. The phone rings multiple times, but the woman refuses to answer because she's still upset about being stood up. And now she's getting this massage from an attractive and an interesting man. So just as her shoulders start to relax, this woman hears her door open. So instinctively, she knows who it is and tenses back up. It's a boyfriend. So, you know, she exchanged keys with him about a month ago, but he never came by without announcing that he was on his way. The woman would expect it that it would rain that way, but she was wrong. So she meets up, rushes to the front door to tell her boyfriend that he should go home and that they can talk later. But her boyfriend wouldn't take no for an answer. He bursts through the door, runs up the stairs, sees another man sitting comfortably on the couch and becomes infuriated. And she starts yelling, demanding to know what's going on. And the man, of course, is startled. Uh, and it's like, look, y'all handle that. That's between y'all two, I'm out. Then in a fit of rage, a boyfriend turns towards her and starts punching and slapping her. The woman, taken off guard, she's astonished. Her and her boyfriend had some very intense arguments, but he had never shown signs that he was capable of hitting or punching her before. She didn't even, uh, didn't even have time to fight back, but could only use her hands and arms as shields to repel his blows. She couldn't believe that this was happening. She was being assaulted. So that's the scenario. So reflect on that scenario and Basically, how does it make you feel? Mm -hmm. Are you outraged? Mm -hmm. Do you think the woman's boyfriend should be arrested for violence against women? Right? Right. But imagine the scenario again while reversing the roles of gender. Mm -hmm. So instead of it being a man slapping and punching his girlfriend, mm -hmm. it's now a woman slapping and punching her boyfriend. Yeah. Now what is your gut reaction to this scenario? Is it funny? Is it trivial? Should the woman be arrested for violence against men? 
But also imagine that the scenario is not really a scenario at all, but a real life event in which I was assaulted by an intimate partner. So, I mean, basically, at that moment, I, I could have called the police and had her forcibly removed from my home, but I didn't. Mm -hmm. I thought I was in love and didn't want to be disloyal to this woman mm -hmm. and throw her life into disarray over something that I thought was my fault because, after all, I cheated, didn't I? My actions caused her to slap and punch me. If I hadn't done what I did, she wouldn't have had a reason to hit me, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of her apologizing to me, for initiating physical violence, right? It was me apologizing to her for cheating. Right. So although nothing sexual ever happened between me and the other woman, my ex right, was certain that something did happen. And even if it didn't happen, she was very sure that something would have happened if she hadn't have made her little impromptu visit. Now, unfortunately, this wouldn't be the first or the last time I would be punched and slapped by my ex. Mm. But ultimately it would be me that was quartered off the jail and made to pay the ultimate price for domestic violence. I basically lost my freedom in its most fullest sense. And most likely I'm going to lose my ability to practice my profession. So um, that's where I'm at. Uh, I got more to tell. Uh, but ultimately, what I want to ultimately assert is this. Um, in my view, as long as women and their advocates continue to contextualize women's abuse and violence towards their partners, for example, women merely are fighting back or they're fighting back for a purpose. There's a reason, a justification. While demonizing men and their violence, mainly committing acts of battery to establish patterns of power and control, the problem of domestic violence is going to persist. Right? And then also, it's my view that if both men and women minimize continuously the impact of women's violent and abusive behavior, they normalize it. Yes. And what this does is place men and women in intimate partner relationships in peril. Okay. So the second time I was assaulted by my ex was a couple of months later. And I mean, she was basically still upset about the issue and brought up you know, my fidelity or my infidelity constantly. So over mm -hmm. and over again, I tried to tell her like, look, nothing happened between me and this woman, but she wouldn't let it go. And I basically told her, look, if you were less passive aggressive, less mean, I would never have gone out with this woman in the first place because in actuality, you know, you were being disrespectful when you told me you wouldn't observe our date night, you know what I'm saying? Which is something that you asked for. I didn't ask that, but I had grown accustomed to it, you know, but like to just blatantly say, oh, I'm not doing it because I just going to be nasty and mean to you, which is a form of emotional abuse, by the way. OK, uh, so anyway, she never understood that. And she placed all the responsibility squarely on my shoulders. Right. So I just yeah. actually just waited until she got through kicking it with her sorority sisters on our date night. Right. Mm -hmm. I should have just understood that, like when she was upset about something. I had to be punished for what she was upset about, right? So basically on the day my, my ex demanded to speak with this other woman, uh, I, I tried to explain to her like, look, nothing's good is gonna come out of this, okay? It's gonna make us both appear childish, but she insisted. So I indulged. So embarrassingly, I just basically pulled out my phone, dialed the other woman's number, 
And with the other woman on the speakerphone, my ex basically just acted like Cookie from Empire. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. like, did you have sex with my man? Did anything occur between y'all? Wow. And ultimately, the woman was like, look, we only had a professional relationship. Mm -hmm. Nothing inappropriate happened. But that's something you need to talk to your man about, not me. And not only that, she was like, look, don't dig, don't call me anymore with this foolishness. I just don't want to be involved in it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as you can guess, I was humiliated. You know what I'm saying? I mean, mm -hmm. they insisted that I call someone that I worked with in the past and I obliged to try to keep the peace, but peace wasn't the result. So mm -hmm. when I went back into my ex's apartment, she started slapping, pushing and punching me. And I remember, I remember her pushing me so hard, like I fell down backwards onto the floor. You know, like I'm like, man. And she was basically like chiding me like I was a child, like she was whipping me like a kid, right? And I, all I could do was ask her, why are you putting your hands on me, right? And it took a lot of restraint for me not to like hit her back, right? You know what I'm saying because. Man, I'm I'm from an impoverished background, like where you have to fight for everything and your money will be taken. Sorry about that. My phone was ringing. Like your pockets will get picked. Your, your material possessions will get stolen. And if you don't learn how to fight for yourself, you know, like, I, but, but right. man, you know, like men can get into aggressive exchanges and then it's over with. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the dynamic is a little bit uh, different when it comes to women. But anyway. Right. Like, I, I, I'm just like, man, like, I, you know, like I just sat there and I, and, you know, I, I just abide by the principles that like every man is told, don't put mm -hmm. your hands on a woman, you know, right. but right. I, like a strange mix of emotions at that time. I'm like, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm mad. I'm confused, you know, like, because I've never really been subjected to domestic violence before. You know what right. I'm saying? This is like right. new to me. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, her daughter, she had a 14 year old daughter. She heard it. And, you know, I'm like six feet tall. Actually, I'm six foot three, normal walking weight. Right. 20. You know, I was literally being given a spanking by a five foot five inch woman. Right. And I felt helpless to do anything about it because you got these cultural norms that basically say, don't put your hands on a woman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wanted to leave, but I also wanted to stay man, because I thought I was in love. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So then all I could think about was, man, look, if I wouldn't have went out with this other woman, I wouldn't have had to. You know, it was my fault. I, I wouldn't have had to be the focus, focus of her punching and pushing and slapping, you know, if I hadn't gone out with the other woman. So I, I, I asked for it, didn't I? You know? So... That's not the end of it either. I mean, you know, like, but. Oh, no, we're going we gonna to definitely get through it. But I want to make this clear right off the bat. One, an abuser is going to abuse regardless. So you didn't have to do anything. It was going to happen. And I would venture to bet you weren't the first person she put hands on. You know, number two, far as I could tell from the story you told, you let her know it was over. But even if you hadn't. There is no law against you enjoying your evening with somebody else. That that, that first of all, there's nothing that you've done that warrants anybody putting hands on you, brother. So I just I just want to make that clear. I'm, I'm gonna let you continue, but I had to get that out, man, because you have not done anything 
that warrants that. Nothing. Okay. But please, please, please continue, brother. I'm sorry to interrupt. So anyway, like after some weeks basically elapsed, you know what I'm saying? Uh, some time went went down, and you know things got a little bit better between us. She stopped asking about this other woman, and things, you know, pretty much returned to normal. But like I said, yeah, um, in the letter, it's like an abnormal normal because, like, when my ex would get mad. And we would start bickering about what I would consider to be like very trivial matters, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, it would just all just surface all over again, you know. So um, if I didn't listen to my ex, and she would often say, you, "You don't listen to me," and to me, what that translated into was, "You're not doing what I want. You're not following right. my directives." Mm -hmm. Right. So if I didn't listen to her, she would just walk off from the public place that we were at. Like we might be at the mall. She'll just call one of her girlfriends and then just go or leave or she'll leave in an Uber or something like that, you know? Okay. And she wouldn't want to talk for days. So, mm -hmm. you know, her anger or her frustration, you know, as she would call it, uh, was explosive. And this just made me angry and hurt. You know what I'm saying? So when mm -hmm. I confront her about it, like we would like it, things would simmer down and I would like, to have a conversation about it. I mean, she would often tell me to shut up, be quiet. I'm talking. Drop the conversation. So, you know, like I, I felt like I'm an intelligent guy. You know, I'm not a choir boy or anything like that, but I mean, I do know how to communicate in order mm -hmm. to get my feelings and my thoughts. So I just found it odd. You know, this person just, you know, is an educator. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we're both educators. We both are educated enough to be able to talk through issues and problems. But you know, just because we have education doesn't mean that we have wisdom. So, well, that, tell me if you can. When you say educated, you know, how educated are we talking? What are we? What are we talking about? Because you have a doctorate, correct? Yeah, I have a PhD in philosophy, and uh, okay. you know, without divulging any like, right identifiable information about her. I mean, she got a master's degree. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a person who, you know, has matriculated through college, okay. who's matriculated through, you know, a master's program. And, you know, you would think that we would be able to act better, period. You know, I mean, you know, we would be able to comport better, but, you know. Um, can, you, can, can you share her racial uh, identification? Oh, she's African American, an okay. African American woman. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, so I mean, like, all I'm telling you is, before I ever, so the third time that she got physical with me, we were in my, the kitchen of my house. I don't know what we were arguing about. I just can't. All I remember was her smacking me in the face so hard. It was like lightning on my face, and it was like lightning cracking through the house. Okay? And so I was just like incensed. And as a knee-jerk reaction, I smacked her back. Mm -hmm. Okay? And like I realized then, like, man, I, I just broke the golden rule. I broke this, this cardinal rule. You don't put your hands on a woman. And when I did that, she laughed. She chuckled. And then proceeded to attack me like it was a jail fight. 
You know what I mean? And so basically, I just tried to keep her away. I grabbed her arms, you know. Um, at one point, you know, during the exchange, she grabbed my head, rammed it into the wall, the corner, you know, my plaster wall. I'm like, my goodness, man, like, it's crazy. And when I finally got through suppressing her waves of assaults, she went to go call the police. Yeah. And this is- That's, that's, that's likely why she laughed, because she got you to respond. So, I mean, um, you know, I was outraged and I was bewildered at the same time. I'm thinking like, okay, this is a woman who bragged about busting her ex-husband's lip because he took the girl's telephone number down. Don't know what the reason was, but she punched him in the mouth and busted his lip. That was something she bragged about. She also bragged about blackening a former male college classmate's eye for saying something that was uh, derisive about a pledge process for a sorority. I won't say what sorority it is. Mm. Uh, she gave him a black eye and she just initiated a physical, uh, physical encounter with me and then had the audacity to present herself as a victim, right? So when the police came, uh, I told them what happened and miraculously they believed me and mm. didn't get into jail. Now, this is the point at which I should have just terminated the relationship once and for all. This mm -hmm. was a warning shot, mm -hmm. and I just refused to acknowledge it. Mm. So at this point, we decided, okay, if we are going to remain together, we need to go to therapy, mm -hmm. period. Mm -hmm. But the funny thing about the therapy was, and I'm just going to be honest about therapy related to couples and you know working through their issues, to me, it's gynocentric. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay, it's it's a it's a medium through which women could just tell men what they want. It's a listening session for women, right? You know, for you to respond to you know ensure that she can get more of what she wants. Like I remember right. one time having a session, and it was predominantly orientated towards me. Mm. I mean, she literally told me, you know, you hijacked the the, the session as if like focusing on my issues right. was something that was like anathema. Like it was just like, okay, well you, we don't, we're not here to talk about your issues. We're here to talk about mine. So mm -hmm. it, it should have been apparent. Like, you know, they say hindsight is 2020 and you know, I had love goggles on, mm -hmm. uh, but you know, I just feel like the therapy did not help at all. And violence was never addressed. And it, right. it seemed like they tried to steer away as as far away as possible for talking about that kind of issue. Right. I mean, if, if they even talked about it, they were talking about the boogeyman or right. You know, like they were talking about, and I think that there might be laws that prevent counselors from talking about such a thing, and they kind of steer people away from talking about that kind of thing because they might have to report it. And it might bring them or put them into, you know, like some legal situation that they don't want to be in. Well, it, 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 but it also has to do with the training. As one of the people in the chat pointed out, uh, Kendra at Crimson Cure, she that it's rooted in the Duluth model. And I know, I know you read Tommy's, uh, Tommy Curry's Man Not, so you already know about the Duluth model and the presupposition that there can only be aggression toward women from men, and that's the only viable definition of abuse that they'll entertain. 
So now, so it, it's at least two parts. It's hard enough to find a marriage counselor that's not a that's not female. That's already one dynamic. But even when you do, they often are trained in that gynocentric framework and that Duluth model framework to where you know any type of aggression is going to be treated as something you have to deal with, and she is the victim of. Yeah, well, you know, I, you know what I feel about that. Like I, I encountered the Duluth model in graduate school. Because and the Duluth model was developed, I think, by Ellen Pence and mm-hmm. a legislator uh, named Michael Pamer. I, I'm not exactly sure if my if my uh, memory serves me correct. I know Ellen Pence mm-hmm. was one of the uh, persons who was responsible for developing the Duluth model, and she's a second wave feminist. Mm-hmm. She was a sociologist, and I think her area of specialization was institutional ethnography. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know if you know what an institutional ethnographer is, and I don't know if your audience knows what it is. <laughs> Share it. <laughs> but it's a person that goes around and listens to stories and studies institutions and structures that are oppressive and that are dominating to mm-hmm. certain demographics. She's not a cognitive therapist. Right. She's not a behavioral therapist. Right. She's not licensed in how to change or modify behavior. She's a person that reports on, or she's deceased now, so I'm not trying to throw you know salt on her name, but, right? Uh, you know, I don't believe in that, but I mean, I, I just feel like if we're going to deal with this as a problem, right? Then shouldn't we bring in the mm-hmm. opinions of persons who understand behavior and how to treat behavior and how to provide therapy and behavior to people? So, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I was I encountered, and, and also, um, you know, I took three graduate seminars in feminist philosophy, which were elective, by the way. It, wow, they weren't. It, this was not something that I had to do. Yeah, you know, like because the, the you know the, the core curriculum required it. It was something that I did as an elective, mm-hmm. and it more because you know I deal with the philosophy of race, and so right, right. You know, my viewpoint was okay. Well, let me study this so I can have a broader and a more thoroughgoing understanding of intersectional theory. Because, right, right. You know, like I, and then not only that, you know, I want to, you know, be an ally to all oppressed and dominated people so that we can get this thing together and usher in, you know, more more justice and well being and happiness for everybody. Mm-hmm. That was what I was thinking. You know what I'm saying? Right, uh, right. And you know, some some aspects of feminism, you know. I, I found admirable and I agree with, but then other elements of it, I think went too far, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, that's with any area of inquiry or like any range of thought period, you know, but um, so, you know, I tried to be a progressive black male, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I haven't read the Carnegie river collective. Right, it, right, right. The funny thing about that is, you know, the, the intersectional, intersectional feminists will, you know, pontificate about, the proclamations within the context of the Combahee River Collective, which is a document of lesbian black feminists mm-hmm. lamenting over the fact that it was the precursor to intersectional intersectionality theory before right. Kimberly Crenshaw came along with her paper and, and kind of coined the term. Mm-hmm. In that document, they realize they have to be able to work alongside progressive men. Mm. So then I, a bell rung in my head and I began to think like, 
okay, what exactly is a progressive black man? Mm. And today, I don't think that there's any like chance of a black man if, unless you're. I'm just being honest. Unless you, I hear you, unless you're willing to say yes to everything a woman has to say, that's a feminist, and accept every single talking point. Yes, I mean there can be no area or room for disagreement yeah. at all. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, mansplaining. And, and and I would argue that really the only black male scholars that are accepted in those uh, feminist circles do just that. I mean, the, 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 the biggest name ones I've never seen offer an opposing viewpoint or an alternative viewpoint that challenges those narratives. So you do have to pretty much do that. But the thing I also tell people is that mascots get eaten, too. Um, and we've seen that with a couple of public figures, celebrities or whatnot. So there is no safe space. But but please continue with your experience, brother. Well, look, look, well, look I could go over each violent encounter in detail mm -hmm. but let me just keep it brief so basically my ex is a college educated african-american woman and a primary school educator or an elementary school educator with a master's degree and she assaulted me viciously multiple times like at least five times okay? mm -hmm. within the context of two years this woman humiliated me both publicly and she did so privately she withdrew money from my bank account, not a shared account, my personal bank account twice without my permission. There were times when she made me sleep in my office or at a hotel. Like, you know, she put me, that was called being called, it's called being put in the doghouse. Okay. She threatened to call the police on me for the most spurious of reasons. Um, One time she, Forced me and imprisoned me in a room and told me, and I think she was setting me up then, like because if I would have forced my way out of the room, I felt like she would have called the police and mm -hmm. said he had pushed me, punched me, or did something to me that was violent. So I think she was trying to bait me in then. Mm -hmm. um, so we had another physical encounter, and uh, ultimately, you know, the police came, and I'm not going to say who was at fault here or there, but I'm like, let's just assume that I was at fault. Let's just assume 100% this last instance, I was at fault. Okay. You done punched and slapped me multiple times. You have humiliated me. You have played psychological games with my head. You have been emotionally abusive to me. You have been physically violent to me again and again and again and again and again. Then you call the police. Mm. You have a protective order filed against me. So at this point, I'm homeless overnight. Wow. I can't go back to the house. I have thousands of dollars worth of possessions left in that house. My daughter, biological daughter, was still in that house. Okay. Now I got a, a case for domestic violence. And I have hardly any money left because it was the end of the term of me, you know, paying my bills. So mm -hmm. now I gotta contend with all of these issues. And I'm I'm trying to contend with it while I'm incarcerated in a jail cell. You know, like while I'm locked in a jail cell. So at that point, man, I'm like, okay, how do I deal with this? You know, like my daughter, like, you know, 
I got to call somebody. I know my daughter doesn't have the money. So let me try to find a way to call somebody who can help at least bail me out. And then I could try to retrieve my car, my clothing, and some more material items so that I can at least move to a new location and get myself together. So anyway, after it's all said and done, the woman just made off with thousands of dollars of my personal property or either she destroyed it, don't know. She ended up kicking my daughter out of the house, giving her an hour to assemble all of her belongings and leave. Then she emailed the colleagues that I have at the institution where I work in order to get them to turn against me and to have me fired. Wow. I mean, think about how, how much effort and energy went into looking up the people that I work with and to send wow. them a document saying that, you know, Lehman violated a protective order, which I did not violate, you know? And the reason I talked to the couples therapist that we had here where I live now in order to try to get back some of my property and to get back my mother's funeral urn. So basically, he called me, which she wasn't supposed to do, okay, and contacted me and told me to meet her at a Walmart, which is like about a mile away from the apartment that we had. Okay. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not coming. I already knew that I was not going to come. I think she was baiting me to get in, incarcerated. She was trying to have me jailed right then in mm. violation of the uh, protective order. So I just refused to go. Right. So uh, when, when she found out that I wasn't coming, she decided that, okay, I'll take the ashes. I'll take your mother's ashes to your secretary. Then. How about that? And when she said it like, just like that too, you know, and, uh, so anyway, she drove 40 miles from the apartment. Instead of giving the ashes to the therapist who could then give them to me, she decided to take the ashes to the school. Now, to me, this is like the equivalent of taking somebody's coffin to their job. And to me, it was an act of desecration, but it is what it is. So then after that, she emailed the people from Title IX at the school in order to put an exclamation mark on all of them. So in the end, you know, none of these actions prevented her from perceiving, right, and presenting herself as a victim instead of a perpetrator of violence. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the messed up thing about it is she'll never be punished for anything that she did to me. She's allowed to resume business as usual under the guise of being a poor, hapless, delicate, demure victim. Right, right. So, so you know, like, uh, I'm a philosopher by nature, so I'm, like, going to try to figure out, at least intellectualize, or, you know, like, offer some sort of interpretation to do some sort of hermeneutic analysis of what it is that I had just gone through, you know? And so... I just began to think, like, why did she have this conceptualization of herself as a victim? What twisted narrative did she have to create for herself, right, to initiate acts of violence against me repeatedly and have, in turn, people believe that she was a pure, as driven snow, innocent victim? And so what I say is the overarching notion that like women are innately meek, mm -hmm. nurturing, they're caring is partly to blame. And, right. and 
you know, so I mean, basically, in the, we have a cultural imaginary that that imagines women to be like the nurturing mother, you know, and and they are to some degree when they don't abuse their children or kill wow. them. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that wow. does happen, you know. I mean, like all mothers are not good mothers. Well, but as I said before, even when we and I post on this all the time, I post on teachers and mothers who abuse their kids or sexually violate their students. One of the first questions I hear from feminists in particular is, you know, I wonder who hurt her. I wonder what happened. So that nurturing element is still extended, even in the face of aggressive acts, whereas, you know, for, you know, people for brothers in particular and brothers like yourself. That's not the question, you know, we, we don't get extended that kind of empathy. Well, I, I don't know why not, because, you know, men and boys have histories too. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. everyone that's living has a history. Mm-hmm. I mean, and either in that history can have either a, a beneficial or a negative impact. I mean, you know, a positive or a negative impact on mm-hmm. how they behave and what they think is normal. Exactly. So if exactly. like one of the things that, and I'm kind of veering off the path here, but like one of the things that I do, right, in research that I I did, you know, uh, is try to balance theorization with natural with naturalism. So uh-huh. I mean, what that means, you know, like to decipher it and put it in, you know, like layman's terms, is like you could theorize all day. Mm-hmm. You have to test your theory. It has to be tested against something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just theory. And you can start pontificating about your theory so much that everybody starts theorizing and echoing and repeating the theory. And then it becomes true by fiat. Absolutely. That is not rigor. <laughs> it is not. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, but philosophy has a tendency to fall into this trap. And I think that, you know, a lot of political philosophy, especially emancipatory uh, philosophy is predicated upon theorization without any naturalism. And, I, mm-hmm. I, and the extent to which philosophers engage in that kind of uh, methodology, mm-hmm. it it just, it veers away from the path of truth and it disconnects us from uh, people engaging in other kind of, of disciplines, mm-hmm. right? So my view, I'm a naturalistic philosopher. I think, okay, look, we have to look at biology, evolutionary biology, anthropology, sociology, psychology. We have right. to look at a whole host of social sciences and other disciplines, even the hard sciences, to try to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. We can't just compartmentalize and engage in our own myopic you know, science or discipline and think right. that we're going to get an accurate picture of reality. I mean, even... Um, but I do have my doubts about ever, you know, getting deep down to, to, to see what reality is in its essence anyway. But I mean, at least we can get a more accurate or fuzzy picture. If, if, but you can't even get a fuzzy picture when you just call into looking at one pixel. And mm. I kind of mentioned that early. Like, so what we're doing is we're com- we're looking at a pixel thinking we have a, a an accurate representation of a full blown picture. Or it's like looking at one frame of a film and offering a critique of the film without even screening the whole movie, looking at all of the frames of the mm-hmm. film. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's where I think, you know, like where, where we're going wrong at. And unfortunately, a lot of 
emancipatory philosophy is just based upon theory that hasn't been uh, tested by other areas of inquiry itself. So that's 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 bad right there. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I want to. Can you you know speak on your your current status in terms of your job? What's the situation now? I'm still employed for the time being, but uh, I have resigned. Um, I, I really don't want to get too deep into right, it. right, right. You know, my I was making suitable progress before. This situation is one in which uh, a person like myself, having the kind of body that I have, having the kind of identity that I have. Mm-hmm. You can't, you know, like ultimately you can't be here. <laughs> you know, what I mean? you, you represent a danger to our students, which there's no correlation between what goes on in, the, in a domestic setting and what happens elsewhere in the world all the way in every case. You mm-hmm. know? That, this is what people don't understand because they're not looking at the data on right. violence. They're listening to the tropes, the discourses and narratives taught to them by popular culture and by feminist activists. And mm-hmm. look, I'm, I'm all for activism, but I'm not for activism that like leaves out one half of the story. That's not activism, that's just, that's obfuscation of the truth. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, so mm-hmm. if we gonna tell, like, I've, you know, I've often heard, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, compare feminists to devils at all, but like the devil doesn't tell lies, he just doesn't tell all the truth. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. You know, conjoin feminism with with the devil or Satan at all. I'm not. But I I'm, hear you. I hear you. I'm trying to make a point. The point is, the devil doesn't have to lie. All he got. All he has to do is just tell half the truth. He doesn't have to tell the whole truth. So in mm-hmm. that way, he's not lying. But still, something pernicious is occurring as a result when you don't get a whole picture of the truth. Then you can twist what kind of truth you're telling to meet the kind of objectives that you're trying to meet, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you can equivocate. That's the best way I can explain but, it. But especially when you have, a, you know, a legacy, a history of, of policies, a, a perspective, even a shift in, in media over the decades that has further villainized Black men in a very particular way to where this uh, this manipulation of truth not only works to have you lose respect on the job at a mere accusation, but, you know, possibly having you incarcerated, you know, possibly having you locked up for however long just on the basis of a statement, a rant, you know, a statement that did, doesn't even need to be com- confirmed. So, it, it, you know, what we're looking at here is is the ways in which, you know, policy has been, you know, framed in such a manner where it, it it can work against men with very little pretext and 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 you have to push a, a, a boulder uphill if if you're trying to press the same. I yeah. mean it was it was a beautiful thing that you didn't end up getting incarcerated the night the police came to your house, but it just as easily could have happened. Oh I did get incarcerated. I went to jail. Oh I mistook that. I thought you said that they didn't take you in. Oh they yeah. didn't, oh, well, they didn't yeah. take me in the first time. Oh uh, the first time. Okay. So I mean like this woman had been like threatening like what people don't understand also is that women in our culture understand full well that the criminal justice system 
is set up in such a way that men will primarily be incarcerated at their testimony about being abused, raped, or, you know, wanting control of the house during a divorce. So, I mean, it's, 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 it's the family court system and the criminal justice system or institutions that women know that they can utilize and nine times out of 10, I mean, that might be like an over-exaggeration, but in a great instances, a great amount of instances, they know that they're going to get favor, right? When a, a domestic violence call is made or a rape call is made or any other kind of allegation is made related mm -hmm. to conflict or physical conflict amongst couples. So, mm -hmm. so, Here's what I have to say about that. Like, I mean, we already know, like you you stated the facts early on uh, about domestic violence. I mean, there, there are more than 200 studies on IPV, mm -hmm. uh, peer-reviewed studies that have been published in reputable scholarly journals. Not, I'm not talking about, right. you know, like things you see on blogs with statistics that haven't been fact-checked and that people just run with and like repeat and echo over and over again. Right. I'm talking about peer reviewed mm -hmm. girls with people doing investigation of the of the area that have, you know, have basically set aside their lives lives to study in this issue by itself. Right. Mm -hmm. so women are just as likely to be violent towards their partners as men. Right. And then uh, so, so this this is how this goes. Right. So I just want to say this real quick. First of all, like the, the the domestic violence advocates would have you believe that all domestic violence is of the same kind. So you have terroristic domestic violence, mm. what they call bivalent or reciprocal domestic violence. You have exit violence or violence at the end or termination of a relationship. And then there's like uh, some other kind of violence uh, that's of a domestic kind. I don't. I don't quite know what it is. I would have to look it up. But I mean, okay. so. But the point being is, less than seven to eight percent of the cases of domestic violence are of a terroristic kind. Mm. Where, like you, know, the images you know what the popular tropes are: Ike and Tina Turner, right? Or you know the the the, the imagery put, being put forth is like. Okay, so you got Cinderella and or Mary Poppins in the kitchen getting mm -hmm. snapped up by a man and a wife beater because he right. didn't cut the crumbs off the bread the right way. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And again, speaking the nuance, you know, nobody wants to talk about the fact that Ike was raped by women as a young man either. You know, so again, that that context and that nuance kind of gets dismissed. But another fact that I want people to understand is that not only is abuse bi-directional, that from the years 1976 to 1985, it was actually black men who were more abused than black women. So the, this issue of abuse, intimate partner violence is, is one that people need to pull the cover off of and, and get elbows deep into, because what you find when you do that is it's hardly the, the you know, the, the surface level uh, dynamic that we hear about in popular culture, the way you're pointing out, it, it's, it's much more in depth than that. Yeah. Much more. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, so right now I've been, you know, uh, as you know, I'm on probation. Okay. So one of the terms of my probation is that, you know, I have to take a battering intervention and prevention program. 
what? Yeah, and then, you know, and then another term is that I got to pay her restitution. Now, this woman has basically absconded with thousands of dollars of my personal property. I have to pay her thousands of dollars in restitution. I have to pay state restitution. I have to blow into a breathalyzer five, I mean, three times a day, I, of course. And then that's like paying a cell phone bill because you have to pay for it. Oh. I, so it's like, you know, the county that I'm in, I'm not going to even say the name of the county that it, that it took place in. I don't want to draw attention, you know, to, you know, something that might make me be in violation of the probation, but the whole thing, uh, the program is based upon and predicated upon the doof, the loop model of domestic violence, which basically asserts that domestic violence is a cycle or a pattern of control and abuse from men towards women. And, you know, like, I mean, me being in this course, you know, uh, I mean, you know, basically it's a, a course designed to shame you. I mean, so it's based, the, 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 it's psychoeducation. It's like, okay, beliefs drive behavior. So if we can change men's beliefs and make them understand that the world has changed, that they can't be chauvinistic, and they can't be patriarchal if they understand that, then maybe they won't slap Mary Poppins for not cutting the crumbs on the cutting the crumbs off the toast. Wow. You know, for not cutting the edges off the toast. So um of course, you know, I, I have to sit there and be humble because it's right. the term of my probation. Is you know, like there's no getting around it, but I think that if we want to have a serious conversation and want to provide therapy for people actually undergoing this a process where they've been abused, mm -hmm. right, accused of abuse or whatever the case may be, uh, we, we need to actually provide therapy for the people that are actually undergoing the experience. This right. is, this is to me, it's ridiculous. All it yeah. is is shaming and guilting men and telling them that they are the responsible, whatever mm -hmm. it may be, you are responsible and you have to take responsibility for your actions and mm -hmm. you have to understand that you did this. Right. I mean, the pronouns and, you know, uh, her, 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 the pictures and the imagery is her, her, her. Right, right, right. You know, men, right. I can't tell the stories because they're HIPAA laws associated with this. And mm -hmm. I would not want to be in violation of those. Right. Facilitator. I think that we do have a good facilitator. You know, he's a black man. And uh, mm -hmm. I think he's a good facilitator and he's working within the confines and the rules that he's he has to. Right. Uh, but I think people working within, you know, the system also understand that it's not just women, that men that are doing this. It's mm -hmm. women doing it too. But everybody just goes along to get along, and men aren't telling their stories. They, they, they just want—they refuse to say anything about what's happening to them, for mm -hmm. fear that they might be stigmatized or be, or, or be perceived as not being masculine. Right. So here, here you hear this thing. It's, this thing goes off at five a.m., five p.m., and at ten p.m. And every time that it goes off, right now it's probably eight o'clock your time. Yeah, but it is. Like my time, so I gotta blow into my uh, mobile device 
to ensure that I haven't been drinking. The fuck? Yeah, I'm blowing in it right now. So, I mean, just imagine, like, even if I, like, to get a, a respite from it all, at least to not have to, you know, like, be constantly reminded of it every day. But I'm reminded of it every 5 a.m., every 4 p.m., and every 2 p.m. And you have to do that for how long? Four years. I mean, four years. I mean, they're, because they're tough on they're tough they they're tough on uh, male male batterers. So I, I'm it, and each time I blow it in, it's continuing to say it doesn't recognize my face because when you blow in it, you have to it has to take a snapshot of your face to make sure that you're the one actually blowing in it. But it won't, you know, it's not acting like it's supposed to. So I got to continue to blow it. Wow. You know, it, one of the things I've 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 argued for a while now is that um, you know one of the reasons that black men in particular have stepped back from marriage since the 1970s is, is due to, you know, two main things is family court policy and treatment and um, domestic violence policy, both of which have been in many ways staggered against black men. So what, what I think has happened is that black men have been on a silent protest since the 1970s. And that protest has only grown, you know, in, in expanse since then. The, the, the rates of marriage have continued to go down. I think a lot of that is because men are, are seeing and experiencing how these kinds of things have been really set against them in ways where they have no voice. Um, social media becomes a, a space that allows for black men to actually articulate that. And if no one else listens, at least other black men do. But in other popular platforms, we don't get any say. So whether you're talking about talk shows or whether you're talking about news media uh, or, you know, any kind of serious discourse, even in the academy, there's not a lot of room for men to share their experiences and be taken seriously. So I think that has contributed a great deal to the kind of silence that black men have grown accustomed to. I mean, I've, I've heard the argument that it's also about, you know, people kind of feminizing or suggesting that men who have experienced this are weak. And I, that is a factor. But I think the other factor is we kind of know that there's really not a lot of spaces where you're going to be heard. And, and that's one of the reasons I'm, 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 I'm so grateful to you, you know, you know, to be willing to share this experience because I know how few places that you've been able to go and be heard. And, and I'm telling you, Black men are listening to you right now um, and they're taking in what you're saying. Black men who have experienced what you're going through and black men who may have heard about it or some who haven't heard about it at all. In either instance, black men are listening to what you have to say right now. And, and you know, hopefully there are some black women listening and some others, but I'm primarily focusing on black men who need to know this because nobody else is going to prepare us. Nobody else is going to tell us. And damn sure ain't nobody else coming to help. So black men have to inform each other about these dynamics and hopefully be able to give tips on how to avert it in the first place. Yeah. So I, 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 oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry to interject. I, you know, no, go ahead. But like one of the things, you know, that I think 
is missing here is that like a lot of times black men don't know when they're actually being abused. I mean, it's, it's yeah. easy to understand that you're being abused when you get slapped or punched or kicked or bit, you know, Not like always then, unfortunately, but go ahead. But like, there's other kinds of ways that women can be abusive and that are kind of like, you know, germane to women, you know, like, uh, isolating you from your, I mean, you know, men do this too, but like they can isolate you from your friends by saying you hang out with your friends too much. If you mm-hmm. love me, you wouldn't hang out with them so much. Like if you right. just be with them, go hang with them. See if right. you have sex with them. You mm-hmm. know, them. You know mm-hmm. she might say that one of your friends did something that she didn't like, or, you know, he said something that was inappropriate. That way she can isolate you from that friend so that he yeah. can keep you objective and impartial about like what is going on right. and like a dynamic being kind of off base. Absolutely. Relationship, you know, mm-hmm. and like a lot of times like women will be passive aggressive and they'll break a date like, like my ex did or they'll mm-hmm. like just break a plan. Like you might plan a trip or something like that. They'll just like, I don't want to go now. And like mm-hmm. punish you for not doing what you, you should have done. So it's like, mm-hmm modifying behavior that they try mm-hmm. to impose on you or like sometimes women will tell you you behave like a woman you're too emotional wow like you 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 do this more than a woman you more emotional than a woman like, you gaslighting know. so you're talking about gaslighting yeah 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 you know like i mean because i lived in a house with three women man mm. a 20 year old a 15 moving into a 16 year old and a woman that was like 38 years old, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Something around that, that age, you know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I cooked more in that household, cleaned more in that household, vacuumed more in that household, washed clothes more in that household than any of them. Mm-hmm. And I did it because I wanted to get the, you know, the message that like I'm not trying to be patriarchal. I'm not right. trying to, you know, position myself as being above that kind of work. And besides, I was raised by a single mother. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I remember her teaching me, look, I'm not gonna iron your clothes. Every right. day. you gotta learn how to iron right. your clothes. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. She showed me how to cook, you know, and like it started off like with my favorite food, hamburger. Right, okay. How to make hamburger, cut these potatoes. Right. Clean these potatoes. We're about to make fries. This is how you cut the, the potatoes to make fries. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. How to fry chicken. How, mm-hmm. to, cook, how to cook steak. How to mm-hmm. cook the potatoes. How to cook. Right, right. How to wash your clothes. You have to separate the clothes and the colors. The white mm-hmm. clothes, mm-hmm. the white. So keep talking, you know, how to clean up. Mm-hmm. How to, you know, clean up after yourself. How to make yourself neat. So I was already equipped with the tools. But you know what's funny, though? Um, my mother told me a long time ago. And, uh, you know, because, you, you know, like I was her only son. You know, she didn't have a, a daughter either. I was the only child. But, I mean, I'm, I'm her son. I mm-hmm. remember her and my grandmother having a conversation. And we were in the room and they were talking about us and they were talking to us at the same time. And they set my my cousin, who's three years older than me, who's a female. They set us, and they they said, "Look, 
she's going to be okay. I'm going to tell you why. A man is going to marry her and make sure that she's protected and taken care of. She might not even have to work if she don't want to work. Then she, then she looked at me. And my grandmother looked at me. And they said, boy, you're going to have problems. You're young, you're black, and you're a male. You're going to have some problems out here. Now, the funny thing about that is I had to be no older than 12, 13 years old when they told me this. I remember it vividly. I remember this. Not everything has changed. It's like, okay, well, now, despite evidence that illustrates and shows that black women are doing better in every major index of well-being, right, that they still need more help. And we're going to prison. We're dropping out of high school, second, you know, uh, mm -hmm. school. We are dying quicker than everybody else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, you know, from, from lack of medical attention and from suicide and from violence from one another on the streets and from violence from the cops, right? So it's like, when do we begin to focus on our issues and where, when do people who are black begin to make a space, even black women begin to make a space for us and our vulnerabilities? Like, when does it begin to happen? But right now it's like, stop talking about you. It's, it's about us because you're part of the patriarchy. And I'm like- Right, right. And I got some views on patriarchy. Like, first of all, like, you know, my whole thing is, okay, we could talk about patriarchy, but the reality is the persons who claim to be the most ardent and fervent defenders against the, the excesses and the abuses associated with patriarchy were the main people who benefited from patriarchy during colonialism, slavery and Jim Crow. I'm talking about white women. They didn't have mm -hmm. with patriarchy until Reconstruction and until the Civil Rights Voting Rights, I mean, the, you know, the Voting Rights Act after the Civil Rights Movement. Now, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, they position themselves as victims mm -hmm. and they eschew violence of all kinds but they were some of the main perpetrators and the reasons for which violence was fomented and ushered in for black men and yeah. black women and yeah. black boys and girls. Mm -hmm. We're talking yeah. about yeah. Hill. Mm -hmm. You talk about me too. I can just imagine Carolyn Bryant. I think that's a, the woman's name who was responsible for Emmett Till being bludgeoned. Yeah. Yes. I can imagine her holding a me too sign. Exactly. Or hashtag believe her. Man. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can imagine her saying that he hurt me and therefore he needs to be punished. You well, know she essentially did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, but it, it takes years and years and years for women to finally come forward after they've done the despicable based upon the vindictiveness that they have oftentimes for people that they've dealt with in the past. It's like, now you come forward and you tell the truth about what the situation was like accurately. Now you want to talk about what you did in opposition to what this other person was, was doing. Now you're starting to paint the full picture after the damage has been done. You know what I'm saying? But like the, the reality of the situation is 
social death is being caused for us, if not outright death. And derision and, and, and invectives are being used against us to destroy us. Yeah. And, and, and it's time, it's time to tell the truth about how we are being used as a means by which other people can gain material success, not bring about paradigmatic change in the culture so that everybody's vote can rise up, but so that certain demographics can get a slice of the neoliberal pie. Mm -hmm. man, that, uh, trying to juxtapose yourself in a position to get a slice of the neoliberal pie is not social justice work, man. Mm -hmm. It's, it's self-interested interest group pluralism. It's right. oppression Olympics politics. And it's not movements, it's not a movement towards justice. It's a movement towards self. But at the end, at the end of the day, though, what you were saying a moment ago about being heard, about when will they? It, 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 we have to do this, man, because ain't nobody else going to do it. I mean, even the incentives aren't set up in a way to incentivize women to come forward and actually do that, and that that includes black women. It's not; they're incentivized to actually work in their own interests because they they've been given access that black men haven't. So there, you you have a rare few that are willing to do that, but that's not what's happening by and large. So the, we have the choice. Do we wait for them to actually begin to see our humanity again and, and, and actually at, advocate for it? Or do we start doing it regardless? And I think that's what has to happen, man, because, uh, you know, the kind of brothers we look, we've waited. Yeah, right. They're yeah. not coming. Right. I mean, even your experience with your ex, she's been incentivized. This has been going on for several generations. This didn't start with her. She saw this. Right, right. Yeah, she yeah. saw this with her mother's generation, with her grandmother's generation. You know what I'm saying? It this this has been cultivated. Brother, brother, brother. Way. This woman's mother broke her stepfather's nose, used to get in the fights with her biological father. So the pretext was all yes. like said, it's already there. But yes. I remember like there was this guy that came to service our furnace and he, you know, she called him to come fix the furnace. And the guy told me, look, I used to date her auntie. Yeah. And you know what he told me? Hmm. He's like, man, I had to stop messing with her, man. She liked to put her hands on. <laughs> so this woman's auntie, her mother, and who knows who else in her family has been committing acts of domestic violence. This is normal for her. This has been normalized for her. So I was just an unsuspecting person, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Who but, just it, not, but, but not only has this happened in, in, in generations, because again, I said domestic violence policy and family court policy, both of them have incentivized women to be able to look at us differently and act. This is shaped behavior because yes, it's been, they've been incentivized in a particular way where they can enact these kind of beliefs and be supported. But the other dynamic is even amongst individual girls and in childhood, they don't get lessons and repercussions the same way boys do. Like you, you and I are young, we, we, you know, even at five years old, you learn very early that if you talk to another man a certain way, another boy a certain way, you might get it. Right. right. You might get it. And that becomes part of how you measure how to deal with other people. Because if I go deal with another male, I know I might get socked in the nose. I might get beat down or he'll catch it from me. But when you start to hear that language very early, you don't hit girls. You don't put your hands on girls. What that teaches us is that we're not supposed to do it. But what it teaches girls is there are no repercussions. Yes. Right? So, yes. so when she's five foot four 
150 pounds and you're six foot three, 260 pounds. She doesn't have any fear about what she initiates because she knows you're not going to touch her. And if you do touch her, she knows that there are mechanisms in place to advocate for her position. Exactly, man. So you don't have one. Like I like in, in the letter, you know what I'm saying, that I wrote and that I gave you, I basically said, look, boys are taught the unwritten rule at every stage of their development. Yes. Every yes. stage. But girls receive no such tutelage. I can mm -hmm. never recall hearing of a rule that strictly forbids women from attacking or abusing men. Absolutely. And this, of course, is because of the assumption that women just don't initiate violence or abuse. Right. right. When they do, there must be some sort of justifiable explanation. As if yeah, such, exactly. As if such a thing can be justified. And so the implications, I say, of this one-sided imperative or profound and the omission for one uh, of one for women and girls, it basically contains an unstated premise. Mm -hmm. Basically, and it's undergirded by a false binary. Men are rough, violent, and bad. Women are soft, peaceful, and good. Men are abusers. Women are the abused. And, yes. and not only that, it's my strong belief that most men don't want to hit their intimate partners, especially if they're women, okay? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. you don't get any elevation in social status for beating up somebody that's weakening you. You just mm -hmm. don't get cool points for that. All right. Well, and, well, and then you have some women that will confuse you, especially if you're young, growing up and you're seeing this. Right. Who will tell you, I need a man that can handle me. I need a man that's strong enough to dominate me. And, and mind you, when I say this, I'm quoting. I'm not making these these you know these terms up. These are things that women have said to men in general, but also to me. I need a man that can handle me, that can dominate me, that won't take my shit or whatever. But if you enact that, you put yourself in a vulnerable position where she can either like it or call you or send you to jail. Like like those are the questions. Let me ask you: from undergrad to doctorate, how many years did you put in before you completed your doctorate? Bro, no. so it's a it's a twisted, insinuous road that I've been on. But like, it, it took me like fifteen to twenty years to get my degree. So all oh, that's washed out as far as I'm concerned. And that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what I'm saying. It took me ninety two to two thousand and eight to finish two thousand seven. Right. So all of that gone in one night because ten seconds. Ten, ten seconds. And if I lose my temper once, fifteen years is gone. Gone. And then and they're like, we're not even talking about if I have children to, that I'm taking care of. Now their futures are affected because of 10 seconds. And I got two girls. See what I mean? And see, see what I mean? See, this is the intricate, this is the intersection that the intersectionalists don't want to pay attention to. Because every man is connected to a mother, a grandmother. He may be connected to sisters. He may be connected to daughters. But mm -hmm. every man if he wasn't a test tube baby, a clone, is connected to a woman, inextricably connected to that woman. In some way, shape, or form, yep. So now I have to find a way to figure out a new, uh, I gotta, I, my profession is gone as far as I'm concerned. Like, I mean, if you look at what's happening at universities, like I'm pretty sure that what you study in and of itself is something that can prevent you, like if you're a junior scholar, can prevent you from getting tenure. Just absolutely, absolutely. Just I tell you, I, I tell younger men all the time: if you're going to do this work, wait till you get tenure. But here's the trap with tenure: 
even once you have it, you're not late, likely able to leave to go to another university once you get tenure. So when I started doing this work after I got tenure, every time I applied for a job outside of Fresno State, I get into the top two and then that would be it. This is why Tommy had to go to Edinburgh. This is why Tommy had to go to Scotland. Right. Because right. he was being sandbagged every time he applied somewhere. The man wasn't even 40 yet and had, what, 75 publications, which is unheard of. Yeah, he's prodigious. And they're like, you know, but I've always said, like, people, you know, they, they, you know, try to disparage Curry by saying he's too acerbic and all of this. But, like, my whole thing is you're dealing with the real life consequences of black dudes and black mm -hmm. men out here. And women can yell, scream, be loud and indignant. Like, I've studied this. Like, one of my main areas of research is deliberative democratic theory. Okay. okay. And initially, the main uh, persons who are advocates of deliberative democratic theory, you could, I put it, I don't know if you've ever heard of John Rawls um, or Habermas, but they're like the main, like the forefathers of the deliberative democratic movement. And, mm -hmm. Basically, it's about democracy, not like market democracy, where you got different interest groups voting strategically in order to get their own share of society's benefits and, and, and resources. It's people actually sitting down, having conversations, trying to reach consensus or trying to use public reason, which is reason not directed upon what's in your self-interest, but reason directed for what's the what's in the, the interest of the common good. Okay. okay. So... At one point, they were like, OK, we can't allow rhetoric into the into public discourse because you want to be in, 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 as impartial and objective as possible in order to try to reach consensus. But like they've loosened the restrictions on communication such that now rhetoric and emotional speech is like it's, it's celebrated. Mm. But and I also agree that it should be. But here's the problem. Right. You can't issue critiques of demographics of persons and then not be amenable to critique. Okay. Period. Okay. okay. If you if you start critiquing people, especially if you're gonna start critiquing demographics like black men or black gay men or black gay disabled men, you can't be in a position to where you're impervious to critique. And mm -hmm. to where mm -hmm. you think you are. You have become tyrannical. Uh oh. Period. You, uh -oh. you can't like this. This is the same thing with domestic violence, in my viewpoint. You can't hurl stones at people and mud sling, and then think that you can't get any mud slung back at you. Like what? We're, like there's a universal rule. Like I teach ethics as well. There's a rule that's pretty much universal amongst all cultures. It's called the golden rule. <laughs> do unto others as you would have them do unto you and also there's a, a a principle in ethical theory called the categorical imperative which states that do not act upon that maxim that you cannot at the same time will to be a universal law governing all within a kingdom of ends in other words don't make up rules for yourself that don't apply to everybody <laughs> right. You can't do that and, right. and say that you're behaving morally. Yeah. And then if you want to put a utilitarian slant on it, you have to also consider the common good or what's in the best interest 
or will bring about the greatest happiness for the greatest amount of persons possible, mm. right? And if you only focus upon your own little interest group, you can't be even engaging in utilitarianism either. You can't be exemplifying that either. So where do you stand morally? You can't, I don't think that you can have a moral justification for critiquing and, and, and being acerbic with people and then don't expect to get the same kind of fire and wisdom coming back at you. And right. standpoint theory is just that. It's <laughs> but you ain't the only person that got a standpoint. Right. <laughs> right. You, you, intersection, you can't even do intersectional theory without looking at various points. Mm-hmm. But when you say that you got the only point, you're doing yeah. the same thing that the oppressor has done. There it is. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. And now you're teetering on the tyrannical and the oppressive yourself. And mm-hmm. you're using a different kind of force, but it's a force nonetheless. And it's all about power. It's about power and resources. And it, it's not even about changing the structure of society as much as it is. Like if, if feminists really were trying to change the basic structure of society, they'd be actually changing the basic structure of society. Instead, they're trying to get more jobs and resources for themselves. I'm just keeping themselves. It yes. I'm just keeping it 100. Like, like right. if we change this thing, let's change this thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm just reminded of outcasts here, you know. I know you like to thank your ish don't stink. Like, everybody, no, nobody's perfect. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to leave this world untouched, but we all have to be honest and we have to give a more accurate and objective depiction of the kind of problems, especially problems that plague black folks. So sometimes in order to be progressive, a man might have to tell you no. Mm. Mm. no. Imagine that. No. You're, or say that you're wrong without being accused of mansplaining or some other dismissive and derogatory term that mm-hmm. prevents them from being able to take up your reasons. Yep. This is what they call in deliberative democratic theory blockages in communication. Continuous, <laughs> man. Semantic noise. Right? <laughs> but, uh, uh-huh. We have to be able to talk to each other. And I'm not saying we're going to actually get or reach consensus. Right. But if we just have some overlapping consensus or, or let's at least agree that, you know, we need to make the world a, a place that is better for everyone, not just for you and your interest group, but for everybody. Mm-hmm. That means poor, even poor white dudes. You know what I'm saying? Because they're catching mm-hmm. hell by women, too, and feminism, too. You know, oh, yeah. uh, you know, like, I'm just being real about this, you know? Exactly. Sure. We start to talk about patriarchy. That's why you have to have a nuanced approach to it, because, like, some people have you thinking that every man, just in virtue of being a man, is somehow privileged. Yeah. That's absolutely re- I re- Dude, I remember a long time ago, man, we were on Facebook, and this trans white woman basically called me out and told me I was being transphobic and transmisogynist and that I was a black man. And even as a black man, I was somehow privileged. And I was mm. thinking to myself, like, what? Privileged to go to jail? <laughs> right, right. To have right. a pointing in my face? Right. Privileged to not be able to see my oldest daughter? Because if her mother got mad at me 
or saw me with another woman or anything, any excuse to be an excuse for me not to see my kid. You mean that kind of privilege to have a relationship with things, with something I, I regard as the most precious relationship that I'm supposed to be able to have in this world? Just at any moment taken away from me. Oh boy, what what a great privilege that is. Right. You know, like I've known, man, like life for me ain't been no crystal stir, man. Mm-hmm. It ain't been a crystal stir. And even when I was about to make it, like I had the capacity, even though I wasn't gonna be rich, I had a job in which I could be secure yeah. and make sure that my family was fed for the rest of my life doing something that I love and my students love. Because I can tell you in that classroom, I'm waxing poetic and I'm treating Mm -hmm. them like adults and I'm challenging them Mm -hmm. and I'm teaching them from a perspective that nobody else can come with. Yeah. And all of that is gone because of the violence and vindictiveness and the power and control issues of someone and institutional designs and arrangements that privilege people and allow them because absolute power corrupts absolutely. Like if, if if you have the capacity to get something off and there are benefits for you and you know you can take advantage of them at somebody else's expense, right. you're going to do it. You're going to do it. You're, you're incentivized to. to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, I'm just reminded of like this philosophical concept that comes from like Plato's Republic book two called The Ring of Gyges. Mm. What ring renders the wearer the bearer of it invisible. Mm. Like if mm. you could do something that was wrong, but you couldn't be found to be to be the individual who did that wrong, would you do wrong? <laughs> and you know, like the interlocutor in the in the uh in this book of Plato's Republic is basically like you're a fool if you got like this kind of advantage and you don't do anything with it. Like there's no person, even the perfectly good person would become corrupt given you know, that he has the abilities associated with this ring. I'm of the opinion, first of all, ain't nobody perfectly good. That's just an idea. Right. We do things that are wrong, even though we strive for the good. Mm -hmm. So, but if you put a mechanism in place that allows somebody to be corrupted or to use or, to you know, to display power, they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. So So now you're raising a couple of issues there because, Right now, we're talking about, well, what is the black community going to do about you know, politics? How are we going to politically mobilize? What are we going to do about the church? What are we going to do spiritually? But as long as people don't want to address what you're talking about here, each endeavor we engage in will fall apart and we won't have a frame of reference as to why. Because nobody wants to talk about this aspect of it. Nobody. Now, a couple other things I want to, I want to add in here. Um, I want to be clear. And this is another reason I invited you on this platform. This is happening to black men across class. And the reason I say that is I was told at a young age that if I played the game, if I got the degree, if I bought a house, if I created a safe environment, if I was a good person, if I had a little bit of game, but at the end of the day, I'm a good man and I, I know how to support my women and take care of my child. So on. if I played all of those, if I played by the rules in all of those areas, I would be gifted with respect and love from my partner. What you're talking about and what you're showing and illustrating is that none of that changes the dynamic. None of it. 
And so what black men are experiencing isn't just happening on one level. It's happening at every level. Right. That's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is just a private personal thing to you, which is when this is over, I want you to listen to this again. And I want you to read the comments because I don't think you realize how many brothers not only share your experience or at the very least advocate for you in ways you might not anticipate. I want you to go back to this when this is over and look at the comments. You got brothers in your corner that you I really don't know if you're aware of. Man. And I want you to experience that camaraderie, even though it's just through the comments, because I know you, you, you're dealing with an isolation right now. I know you are. Man, dude, like, man, you don't know how many nights I cried, bro. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, you know, dude, my normal walking weight is 220 pounds, man. I probably weigh 180 right now. You know what I'm saying? Woo. You know, I, um, this is taking a toll on me. Yeah, it, 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 was, it, it was intended to take a toll on me. Mm -hmm. <coughs> this was this is a punishment mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. not just a punishment from her it's a punishment from society and it's a punishment from everybody who agrees that you know like the big bad bad black man is yeah. ready to wreak havoc on society and he's ready to hurt and destroy women and so we'll destroy you before you're able to destroy them and Man, you, man, we're vulnerable, man. Like, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I thought the same thing. I, my mother told me. She sat me down, man. Like, I saw my mother breathe her last breath. Like, I mean, like, I, she wasn't in a nursing home. We put her into a palliative care. And uh, she said, Lehman, man, make sure you don't, because uh, she didn't see me finish my dissertation. She never got to see it. She never got to see me walk across the stage. She wow. never got to see me put my hood on. And she wanted me to have that and to do that more than anything else in this world. And the full circle is, I thought I would get love. Mm -hmm. I thought I would be respected. Mm -hmm. I thought I would be honored for my achievements. I thought that I would be given love and that, you know, I would be treated with the, the, the utmost uh, kindness and consideration. And it, when I got to where I got, with the woman that I had, all I got was envy. And like, I mean, like belittling my degree, discouragement. I mean, I mean, yo, you, what you do is boring for a living. I mean, you teach what? Yeah, your subject matter is boring. I started to talk about race and to talk about issues related to race. I was told, you're the problem. You, you, you're the problem with America. You, you, you hate white people. And I'm like, First of all, I got white friends and some of those friends are in the know and they, they're able to accept what has actually occurred historically. But don't don't start talking about, you know, the responsibility associated with black folks and why the ghetto looks like it looks. It looks like it looks because of institutions. It looks like it looks because of social practices. It's not because of the innate corruptibility or the uh, innate inferiority of the people that live there or their unwillingness to accept responsibility. It happened because they weren't given FHA loans. It happened mm -hmm. right. the covenants. It happened right. because they weren't gain, uh, were able to gain access to the GI Bill. There's a yes. whole of reasons why the ghetto looks like it looks. Mm -hmm. But the only thing you can see is the blame in the people who are suffering the most. Mm -hmm. So I, I took pause and issue with that, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, you know, like to be the little, I mean, I was even told 
you know, in front of people, like, well, what he does is boring. You know, like, I mean, you know, his job is boring. Your philosophy is boring. I'm like, imagine me telling somebody that, like, what she does as a sixth grade teacher is boring. And, and how she would re- respond and react to that and how belittling that would be. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, like, dude, like, I couldn't imagine some of the stuff I put up with. And I I, I, I went along to get along. Right. But then I got burned in the end. Sure. And I got burned. Yeah. And, you know, but, but I have to find a way to pick myself up and to keep pushing. I don't know what the future holds for me. It's like a winding staircase. I don't know, you know, what, where it's going to go. But I want to continue to do my work, but I feel like I'm barred forever, man. Like, I don't even know how to even begin to repair this. You know, I don't even know how to begin, but. Well, I think um, what we're seeing with Johnny Depp is laying out a blueprint, whether we expected it or not, whether he planned it or not. I think that's laying out a blueprint. At the end of the day, fellas, you're going to have to start recording because if, if, if she can be believed without evidence, and you're not going to be believed. The very least you can do, if at all possible, is to have such. You know, um, you, you, for you, brother, it, uh, the only thing I can tell you right now on air is I don't want you to drop your head, man. I really don't. I really don't. There are too many brothers going through this for you to think that this is just you or to feel as isolated as I know some of these people want you to feel. It's bullshit. It's not real. There's too many of us out here that are going through it, that have been through dimensions of it. You know what I mean? It's not, you're, you're not alone, man. You're not. And, and you have access to my platform, brother. If you need to come back, if something else you need to put out there, it, you it, just let us know. But the, the support is, is, is here, man. And I mean that on the air and off the air. Hey bro. Like I, man, dude, like I, you, you don't know like how long, but I started writing this, man, like maybe about two months ago. Mm. And, uh, you know, I didn't really want to share it with anybody. I'm like, man, I'm just trying to get my thoughts out and my feelings and try to make sense of what I've been through. Mm-hmm. And I want to publish it, man. But, I, you know, like my whole thing is we got to start talking about our own issues and our own problems. If we don't start talking about them, nobody's going to talk about it for us. And nobody can even speak, excuse me, just speak for us. We can mm-hmm. speak for ourselves. And we ought to be allowed to have a space to speak for ourselves and there ought to be an area of scholarship that allows us without being disparaged and without being, you know, looked down upon, to talk about us. We have to be able to do that. And anybody who would deny us the ability to talk for us, they can't be for justice. They got to be for just us. Can't be. Well, look, it, it, as far as publishing goes, I, I would suggest you do, man. I don't care if you write this as a damn fiction. Write it. Because at the end of the day, there's too many of us going through it. And, and, and this I've, I've said this repeatedly on the show and in my work in general, the push for black male studies in, in part is about developing a vocabulary so, so men can be able to articulate our experiences. But beyond that, it also gives license when we do it. We give license to someone else to speak their experience because, you know, oftentimes until you do, we don't even know we can. This you know what cool. I mean? You have set somebody free tonight just telling your story. So I would urge you in whatever way you can do it that doesn't, you know, bring you back any legal blowback, write it and publish it. I don't care if you change the name and turn it into a damn fiction. Whatever has to happen, man, you have worked too hard 
to have it deliberately and arbitrarily dismissed because somebody had an issue with you that wasn't, you know what I mean? No. True indeed, man. I, you put in too much work to get to this point, to have it all go down the drain. Fuck that. Write it. I appreciate you saying that, man. And, I, you know, you know, we do so much for these women, man. Like, they don't know how vulnerable we are to them, you know, and how much we're willing to sacrifice and to dedicate to them. And, you know, we're not perfect, but we don't right. have, deserve to have our lives destroyed because you got some control issues. That's it's crazy, man. But you laid it out, man. We have been socialized from birth to serve women. And they don't acknowledge that, especially feminists in particular, don't acknowledge that that's the process. But in the black community, most especially, we've been socialized to serve women's interests. Right. We don't even in, in many ways, when we meet women, we don't even have a list of requirements. We adapt to their list. We go out and accomplish in the world to so that we can preemptively adapt to their list, but we don't even think to say, I have a list of my own. This is what I require of you. And the reason we don't is we've been socialized from childhood to serve women's interests. So, you know, for you to be in this situation where you're putting this out and the response you get is, is utter disrespect is incredibly important because men live and breathe by respect. We even process and interpret love via respect. And when that respect is pulled, it has it, it has incalculable incalculable damage, you know. It, it does incalculable damage to us, and that's one of the reasons that some of those those kind of women you're talking about engage in that. They know that, man. They know. One, it's one thing to hurt somebody unintentionally, or you know, through, you know, something that you know that just, you know, like knee jerk. But it's another thing to try to hurt somebody and to destroy them, man. Like that's that's vitriolic. It's hateful. Absolutely. It's evil. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's ultimately evil when you try right. to destroy somebody. And then mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, society has created the conditions for which people can be demonized in this way and that their dignity and their humanity is not preserved. It speaks volumes, man, about what our motivations are and what a lot of these people's motivations are. They just Absolutely. want, you know, and uh, I think it's unconscionable. But, uh, you know, like you said, man, I want to help develop that vocabulary. I want to mm-hmm. do consciousness raising and i want to do some disclosure you know uh mm-hmm. some you know some help in this in, the, in this movement man so uh i don't know you know i have to do it on the sidelines i might not be able to do it with the endorsement of the university but i still right. have to do it, you know like uh you have many people who were on the vanguard that didn't have anything to do with universities so um, well and at the end of the day no matter what you are still dr basil so we just have to find a way for you to apply that leverage because you took you know you you took the time to earn it. So the university or no university, we have to find a way for you to be able to use that because at the end of the day, man, you have a story to tell that people need to hear, and black men especially need to hear. I think so. You. Yeah, man, so I if, if there's anything I can do, please don't hesitate. I don't want you to disappear, brother. You know what I mean. You know how to reach me. Um, I, I'm, I'm here, man. And I mean it, man. I, and I, you know what? I know you do. And, uh, man, I just contacted you today and today I'm on the air. You know what I'm saying? On your format. And I know you got like a nice set of followers, you know, you know, and so, uh, you know, I I know people are going to listen and, you know, it is what it is. And I really, man, I just really appreciate you, brother, man. You're, you're a stand up dude. 
And uh, I really appreciate you giving me this platform to at least let my story be told, man. And I, I don't care what it makes me look like. You know, I don't care, man, if it makes me look like less than a man. Oh, no, hell no. I just, no. like, I, I, you know, I, I don't care, man. Like, I, I've been through pain. This is painful, man. Absolutely. It is painful. And that's, and that's why, that's one of the ways we got to change the language, man, because this, this has nothing to do with you being less than, none of that. This has to do with what black men have been experiencing behind, you know, behind closed doors for decades that we have not been able to talk about and be heard about. So, brother, you are, you are kicking open a door that needed to be kicked open a long time ago. And, and, and we got you. Um, I myself don't have a, a large number of followers, but I'm associated with brothers who do. Um, so there are brothers in the stream that have over 30,000 uh, followers. There are those who have even more than that. And, and this is going to be on YouTube. So people will continue to hear it. Um, and and we're, we're getting the word out, man. So all I need from you is to stay in contact and let me know if there's any way I can help. And I mean, look, man, even if you just need to call and, and just get some shit off your chest so you don't go to jail. <laughs> I mean, you got my cell 24 seven, brother. I know better than to do anything, uh, you know, that would I understand. have the rectitude. I know, you know, I, you know, I'm not deviating from that. So, I, you know, I know what to do with it in, in, in relation to right. that. But, right. Because, you, know, you know, life life is, you know, it's, it's, it's my life is, you know, it's, it's too precious, man. You, you, uh, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to up, you know what I'm saying? I've never been a quitter. I, I just haven't been. So, you know, that's like when it, you know, my father used to always say and still says, just when things are getting rough, they just getting right for me. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, hey man, I look, thank you for coming on tonight. Um, like I said, I'm gonna send you the link when you're done. When you when you feel like you're up to it, I want you to go back and read the comments, brother. And um, let us know what you can, you know, what we can do, you know, especially if you decide to work, write this. And I hope you do uh, allow us to support that uh, and help get the word out that much more because you are setting people free who are going through this and don't know how to talk about it. I appreciate it, brother. And thank you for allowing me to, you know, voice my oh, thank, thank you. you so much, man. Thank you so much. All right. And thanks for those who, who, who listened. Thanks for those who supported the show. Thanks for those who commented in the chat. I appreciate you. Um, we, we're not going to really be able to go into a whole lot of Q&A like I normally do because this was an impromptu show. I'll be back on Interlight Radio tomorrow night um, interviewing a community activist organization founder, um, Zakia uh, uh, Sansar. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm a little I'm a little. Oh. I'm in a different place, but um, uh, as far as uh, the show tomorrow, it's uh, Zakia Sankara Jabbar uh, I'll be interviewing, and um, we'll get some of that out and discuss that and what's going on with black males in education as per her work, but um, we're going to close out here, and I wish you all a good night. Um, hold on. One last thing, because y'all know I just started doing this, and I'm going to continue to close out my shows with this. Um, so those of you who listened to the last show, you know where this is going. Bear with me for one moment. Um, but as I'm starting to, I'm, this is going to be consistent. So I'm saying thank you for supporting the Onyx Report. And remember, I'm here to tell black men, especially we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man children, sperm donors, child support resources, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, 
unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, or any other socially accepted uh, dehumanizing stereotype. We are thinkers, inventors, innovators, leaders, fathers, and men. Embrace your humanity, brothers, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. Peace. Peace.